Good morning. We are glad that you made the choice to be with us today in an assembly that is designed to worship God, to honor Jesus Christ, to learn and be motivated to be engaged daily as better followers of Jesus Christ. I know I can do better. And I hear from you that you know that you can do better as a daily disciple of the Lord. And that's one reason when we come here, we teach and preach from Scripture. Throughout this year, on the first Sunday of each month, I'm delivering a series of sermons entitled, Who Will Follow Jesus? It is this simple. We are using Scripture to study various aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. In all of this, we are urging you to start following Jesus if you haven't obeyed the gospel. And we are encouraging present followers of Jesus to persevere in that way of life, to get up every day and renew your commitment to the Lord in your mind and in that day try to do better and do that every day. Last month, I talked about following Jesus with your family. <clears throat> Today, the same general theme, but another part of that whole. Following Jesus, taking others with you. Taking others with you. If you've attended our assemblies here for a while, this chart may look familiar. We use this chart from time to time as a summary of what one must do to begin the journey of following Jesus Christ. And you'll notice it starts on the left-hand column, reminding us of what we need to recognize, that God is supreme. He is above all. That the Bible is His Word, His message to us. That's why we follow the Bible. That Jesus is the Son of God, that sin is our problem, but we can be redeemed by the blood of Christ. Knowing these truths, we are called upon to respond. When you hear the gospel, confess your belief in Christ and you repent, you are ready to be baptized into Jesus Christ. That commitment that is necessary is to be accompanied by your commitment to live faithfully after baptism until you die. My question for you today is, can you take these simple teachings we have reviewed and tell someone how to become a Christian? That you have made the choice to follow Jesus, that I have made that choice, is tremendous. That we come here and study the Bible about how to carry out that choice to follow Jesus is of great value. But after we have made that choice, and inasmuch as we are continuing our commitment to follow Jesus Christ, this question must be visited. Can I tell others what to do to become a Christian? 
Our subject is, who will follow Jesus taking others with us? And we call that evangelism. I hope we are not afraid of that word. It could be when we hear the word evangelism, we are uncomfortable. Because while we know what the word means, and we know the importance of it, we may also begin to think when we hear the word that we're not very good at it or that we need to do more of it. I will tell you, I need to do more. This church needs to do more. And I don't know of anyone here or anyone anywhere who has called upon Christ to be saved in obedience to the gospel, who can conclude that they've done enough. That they can back away from evangelism now. If we're going to follow Jesus, this is a reality. We need to be doing more to take others with us. I want you to open with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. The Apostle Peter is writing to Christians, and he wanted them to do more. He wanted them to grow, and he wants us today to know who we are in relation to God. And then what that privileges us to do. Here's what I'm talking about. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen race. Would you let me check on that reference? 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Yes, that's correct, Warren. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Christians are people who have decided to be a part of God's chosen race. We are all in the human race, but when we decided to be baptized into Christ, we made a choice to be a part of God's chosen race, God's spiritual nation. And so, Peter says, we constitute a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and the next phrase suggests God's particular ownership of us, <coughs> a people for His own possession. This is how Peter identifies us. This is how Peter identifies people who have decided to follow Jesus Christ and have been baptized to begin that way of life. Now, you may be identified in many other ways in earthly terms. Domestic relationships. Children, parents, husbands, wives, grandparents, aunts and uncles. Work or professional relationship, manager, supervisor, employee. Academically, you may be student or teacher. 
And you have ethnicity, geography, heritage, and various loyalties and politics and all of that. But this is your spiritual identity, which takes precedent over all. Our relationship with the Creator transcends all earthly relationships and ought to govern all earthly relationships. This is who we are. This is who we are as a whole, and it ought to function as motive for what we do and how we live and what we speak individually. But look back at the verse now. And notice where identity goes. Identity goes to privilege, and privilege goes to proclamation. I want you to see that. Identity goes to privilege, and privilege goes to proclamation, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, there are two ways we become engaged in this proclamation. One, by how we live, through influence. People see us and watch us and get to know us, and we would hope they see our identity in Christ and want to know about it. Down in verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. We proclaim the excellencies of Christ and of God through the way we live. Secondly, we can and should proclaim the excellencies of God by actually speaking to people directly about who Christ is and what He did and how we can follow Him and go to heaven. Are we doing that? That second part. Now, this may hurt, and perhaps it should. When I read a passage like this, before I do anything else with it, I need to ask myself, am I fully engaged in the proclaiming that is my privilege, according to 1 Peter 2, verse 9? It could be that in my life and in my influence, I am proclaiming my identity in the Lord and that people are seeing that and they're being well impressed and influenced by that. But there's the other part. Am I talking to people about the gospel? Do I respond to opportunities to tell people about the Lord? When I talk to people who are not Christians about other things, do you talk to people who are not Christians about other things? Do you talk to people who are not Christians about other things? Do you talk to them about the main thing? It's convicting. Do we talk to people about the main thing? their relationship with God. Who will follow Jesus and will we take others with us? We know we should. We have the necessary information. We know it pleases God when we impart this information. We are certain that there is a relationship between evangelism and the growth of the Lord's kingdom. What we know is one thing, 
<coughs> what I'm asking today is, what are we doing? What are we doing? Can you take these simple teachings that we have reviewed at the beginning of the sermon about how to become a Christian and can you share that with someone else? Do you talk to people about other things? Do you talk to them about the main thing? Now, how did it all start? I'm going to take us to John 1. <clears throat> how did it all start? When Christ first came on the scene, how did the word spread? After his death, burial, and resurrection, how did the message spread? Even earlier than that, when he came and was announced as the Messiah, how did the message spread? In John 1, I'm going to start at verse 35. John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, I'm going to start at verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, what is this? This is not a pattern for mass, expensive, highly organized evangelistic enterprise. This is one person telling another, we have found the Savior. Can we do that? Acts chapter 5 and verse 42. Now we are after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Jesus has ascended back to the Father. The Holy Spirit has come to the apostles and the gospel is being spread. And we're at Acts 5.42. <clears throat> and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The apostles with other Christians <clears throat> didn't hold a seminar on evangelism. They didn't order a box of books on personal evangelism. 
<coughs> they didn't implement a big fundraising campaign. Daily, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They talked to people about the Lord. Can we do that? That's the question. Therefore, if we know what message needs to be distributed, and we know that we need to be the ones distributing the message, and we're not doing that, and we know we need to do better, what can get us moving? What can get us moving? I want to offer three commitments very briefly. <clears throat> Each one of us need to think about and act on. Think of evangelism more as a conversation than a debate. Have you ever dismissed an opportunity with thoughts that go something like this? I know my friend is involved in religious error, denominational doctrine. I'm not sure how to answer all that. I'm not good at debating. I don't want to get anybody upset. I might get tense. And before you finish all that reasoning, you have pushed that opportunity out of the way. Don't go into it assuming that you have to argue and debate and start a fight and create friction. That's the wrong mindset to start the process. Start a conversation. It may result in some matters that you have to deal with with your Bible open, but you start a conversation. Start with common beliefs. Say to your friend, do you believe the Bible? We've talked about many things this last week. We've talked about basketball and NFL was in the news and we've talked about politics and I've asked you about your golf game and you've asked me about... What do you think about the Bible? If, if we're going to be friends, let's just talk about that. What do you think? Do you believe the Bible? Yes. Yes, I, I think it's a good book. Well then what do you believe about Jesus Christ, the Savior? Oh, I, I love Jesus. Those questions can start with common beliefs and they can take you into conversation and Bibles that are open <clears throat> and eventually you're going to be able to say, do you want to do what the Bible says about becoming a Christian and following Christ? If you go into it with your debater hat on, they may not see you as a friend trying to help with truth. <clears throat> they may see an argument walking down the hallway. Team up with other Christians. Do you know somebody who does this well? Ask if you can go with them. There are exceptions, but when you read about evangelistic journeys and efforts in the New Testament, have you ever noticed how people are teamed up with each other two by two? Paul and Barnabas, Peter and John, Aquila and Priscilla, even people who are not teaching from the Bible. Have you ever had just one Mormon come to your door? There is strength and encouragement when Christians team up and work together. I'm talking about Christians who are following Scripture, not somebody who's following another book 
like the guys who come to your door, but us following Scripture. We need to team up. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9 says, Two are better than one. If you set up a Bible study in your home, get someone to come help you. If you know someone involved in evangelism in a very good way, ask if you can go with them. Number three, <clears throat> focus on accuracy and effort, not baptisms. Sometimes I think what we want to do is go to our neighbor's house and say, Have you been baptized? No. Let's go to the church building. We'll call the preacher and get you baptized. What about the gospel that we're not ashamed of? Why are we going to be baptized? What's it all about? What's the cost of discipleship? What does it lead to? What commitments are being made? It is tempting when you become engaged in evangelism to be nothing but a scorekeeper. To drive the conversation too quickly, to get people into the water, and if that doesn't happen, you think, well, I failed. I was there a whole five minutes, and they, they didn't agree to be baptized. Our job is not to score results. Our job is to be scripturally accurate in what we present, and do so with the energy and passion that God supplies. Do your best to present to people just what the Bible says about becoming a Christian. And remember, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Don't count baptisms. Just teach the gospel and let that student Hear the gospel. That's your job. Tell them what the Bible says about baptism, but don't rush them into the water. That has to be their choice based on your presentation accurately of the gospel message. Don't count baptisms. Just teach the gospel. Do you think it was a coincidence that Christ's first disciples were fishermen? Isn't fishing not always catching? When you go fishing, maybe out on the bay, a whole morning, and you come back, somebody says, where have you been? Do you say, I haven't been fishing because you didn't catch anything? Isn't fishing not always catching, but it requires tenacity and volumes of patience? Now, I want to make it clear again that I include myself in everything I've said. We need to do more. Can we tell people what we did that is written in the Bible to be saved from sin and enter into the body of Christ? Can we start conversations? Can we read the Bible with a neighbor or a friend? 
Can we do more as a group here at this place? Those are questions that ought to occur to every Christian as the Bible is read and as we encounter people who are not Christians. Who will follow Jesus taking others with them? And back where we started, it is this simple. If God is above all, God reigns. He has all authority. He's the Creator. And the Bible is His Word. And Christ is the Son of God. And sin is our problem, but we can be redeemed by the blood. Why wouldn't we and everybody want to hear the gospel, believe it, repent of your sins, confessing your faith, being baptized into Christ, ready to live faithfully as a disciple and follower of Jesus Christ the rest of your life? You can start now while we stand to sing. Oh, <laughs>